0: This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller.
1: We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation.
0: Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm glad you've come along. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Ken Collins, who's been on the podcast before, and generally, people associate him with his work on John Wesley. He's written many books on John Wesley's theology, but today, we're hearing about his new book that's published by Seedbed, called Jesus the Stranger. And he really exercises a different part of his pastoral and theological heart as he works through these vignettes of Jesus's life. I think you'll really find it interesting. I was fa- you'll you'll see in the interview, I was really fascinated by the fact that Ken Collins was interested in writing this book in the first place if you could take a minute and help people find us, this is the, the thing we're finding is that as people become aware of this podcast, they, if they share it, what happens is that sh- you know one person shares and it keeps on going and going and we just want more people to be able to benefit from this content. So if you're finding it to be a blessing, could you text it to somebody or share it on social media or encourage people to join our email list at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymilleriii.com, and we have an email list there. We also put things in a blog format on that site so that you can share it that way. And we're just trying to find other ways to develop this Podcast. It's not just a podcast, but it's this content-producing ministry where we're trying to produce content in an Orthodox Wesleyan tradition You know, for folks who are trying to find resources in this way. I think you'll find that to be true with Dr. Ken Collins. And we're also really excited that people have come alongside of us to support us in this, like Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner who does all sorts of things from investment planning to strategizing for your financial future. He's particularly gifted with helping people who are in ministry. He's been you know, at work for more than 25 years. Years. Um, he is particularly skilled in helping Salvation Army officers and Salvation Army employees think through their investment options and what they need to do for their future. But I think you'd find Bill to be a great help to you if you're looking for somebody to come alongside of you as you think about your financial future. So you can find his work at WilliamHRoberts.com. That's WilliamHRoberts.com, and you can find more information for him about him on my website or in the show notes. Also. Keith Waters and his team at WPO are a great support to this show, and they have come alongside us from the very beginning, and they help people with capital campaigns, strategic plans, and mission planning studies, and he has done that for me, and I'm so thankful for the way that Keith's at work all over the country. I've just found out that he's brought on a good friend of mine, uh, Major Terry Israel is the vice president at WPO now. This is a great team, so I really encourage you to check out WPO Development, and you can get a hold of them at Keith.water. Keith.Waters at WPODevelopment.com. Now we'll move on to the podcast. Thanks for coming along. And I hope you'll enjoy this interview with Dr. Ken Collins. God bless you welcome to the more to the story podcast with dr andy miller i'm so glad you've come along and if you're somebody who's enjoyed this podcast here's what you could do to help us we we just want more people to find the work that god's called us to produce and the way you can do that is by liking or sharing a link to this podcast or one of the things that we could really use some help with right now is if people could go on to apple Podcasts and leave a review this just helps people find us or you can find us on youtube you can find a backlog of all of the podcast that we've done since it's been more to the story and the 50 plus interviews we did when it was called captain's corner. And speaking of captain's corner, we have a guest on today who was on captain's corner a few years ago. I'm so delighted to have Dr. Ken Collins on more to the story podcast with me, Dr. Collins, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Andy. I'm happy to be here. Now, People might have saw your name, that we had you coming on the podcast, and they might remember my old interview, and probably people in my audience know you pretty well for your work on John Wesley. But we're not going to talk about that today, are we? Well, maybe a little bit. Let's see.
1: That's right. Uh, But we're also going to learn today that my love of John Wesley was actually a love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, And the reason I like John Wesley, he was such a faithful and careful interpreter and exegete of the Bible. That revealed the beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ and so now it's time to
0: focus on the source that is Jesus amen of course this is the thing with Wesley studies as a whole is um, they could be what Wesley studies historical studies could be an end in themselves right there you could be a Wesley scholar and not be a Christian but you would miss what the point of it is. Like you could be a historian. You could be a, a great historian and know all about Wesley and talk about his views of theology. But the point of Wesley is to point to Jesus, wouldn't you say?
1: Uh, yeah, Um I, I want to go back to the statement you made. It, it, it's, In other words, doing theology maybe as a mental exercise, as a head game, rather than as a participatory activity.
0: Right. And,
1: right. and John Wesley, in doing theology, of course, did practical theology. Sure. He sure. was doing theology in the service of the church in mission. Amen. And that's basically what he was doing. And that is a very... Participatory sort of activity. Um, so I bring that framework that I had in in Wesley studies. In other words, a participatory engagement. Also in terms of Jesus the stranger. This yes, book, yes. this narrative journey that focuses on on Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So. It's a We're little different, just, isn't
0: it? This is different. Th- so this is a, a different writing exercise than what you would normally do or a writing product. The title of the book is Jesus the Stranger, the Man of Galilee and the Light of the World. This is coming out through Seedbed, who you've worked with before. But this is a a, a unique thing coming from your pen. So I, and you've already started to right. highlight it, it a little bit.
1: It's a little different. Um, and the book is up on Amazon now as okay. well. And It represents a long train coming because I've been thinking about these issues for quite a long time. And I have understood this Jesus that's revealed uh, through this book for quite some time now. It's, It's the way I've been reading scripture, reading the Bible, and that, of course, been influenced by John Wesley and the whole Wesleyan paradigm. Uh, But it was finally time to share it with others. It was finally time to share it with others because I think the very humane Jesus that they're going to see in this narrative account uh, is going to be very helpful to lots of readers who are struggling and suffering in the contemporary context, in the current culture, especially if they take their Christian faith very seriously.
0: Right. Now, at the very beginning, in the introduction, you talk about the kind of personal disciplines that you've put into your life that was a part of this book and I think that's helpful for people to understand uh, and I hope that those who are entering into this scholarly world or, or people who are students of Wesley Biblical Seminary or Asbury Theological Seminary that they're listening to this like it's ha- helpful to like those are you those who are aware of your work know of your scholarly commitment but yet yeah. there's like a, a personal spiritual dimension behind like for decades that have has led to this book. Tell us about that a little bit.
1: Yes, and and I think you've expressed it well. There there really are two poles of attention here. Right. That there is the scholarship that's behind this book. I, I did my homework. I looked at like 15 commentaries for every passage that I was grappling with. I've looked at the Greek. But I'm directed towards lay people. And so I wanted to know what the scholarly world was saying about particular passages. I had to know that to be sure. So I did my homework, but I'm trying to present here um, a picture of Jesus. That's going to emerge out of the dialogues he's having with key people uh, throughout the gospels. And in seeing that, those dialogues, I'm trying to engage the reader. In other words, my reader is not simply picking up the book to get information, to get facts. They, in a real sense, in the best sense, the reader is going on a journey, much like you would go on a multi-day hike. You are going to be experiencing new things and maybe at the end of that journey are gonna be transformed. You're going to be changed because you see Jesus in a new way, in a different way that you haven't before, Uh, because this is a thematic journey focusing on the suffering, rejection, the ostracism, the the bad mouthing against Jesus, the slander, the character assassination. All of that he dealt with. That was a part of his world. And when we see that and we see the holy love of Christ continuing, not missing a beat uh, in terms of that context, uh, that can be powerful. Yeah. And so yeah. some people who have read it said the book is moving. It's emotional. And that's precisely what I'm aiming at as an author to engage a person, not simply in terms of their mind, but also in terms of their heart as right. well.
0: Right. Yeah. This is the, the the role of the preacher too. I mean, I yeah. I, got, I felt like I was reading really well researched sermons that were ha, that had a particular perspective. Like you had a goal of trying to engage group dynamics, individuals, how Jesus would feel, how the person who Jesus was in contact with would feel. All these type of things are there. Now let me back back up because uh, okay. I asked a pretty big. Question and probably it shows my inexperience as an interviewer, but I, I liked how you talked about your own personal discipline and Bible reading, and even yes. exercise was yes. was a part of how you developed this. And 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 it, even creative writing is something that's a a, a part of your own spiritual di- a spiritual discipline that you utilize. Is that right? Yes, uh,
1: that is right. And let me. Uh, uh to an image that i actually talk about in the introduction that you know what i'm doing in this book it's very similar to a curator of an art gallery okay uh who is choosing certain paintings perhaps for a special exhibition to highlight a particular artist okay and so what i've done i've carefully chosen uh passages from the gospels on a theme, the theme of, you know, the suffering and rejection that Christ experienced and then laying that out in a narrative journey. And so that's going to be very participatory and engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you mentioned the disciplines that have fed into this project. Um, I'm a runner. I ran this five miles this morning, as okay. a matter of fact, uh, before this. And um, when I run, I pray. Uh, And I I run and pray, and lots of Christian runners do that. And Christian runners will know what I'm talking about. When you start to get into the fourth mile and and Mm. the fifth mile, a different kind of thinking takes place. It's not your normal work-a-day thinking. Uh, It's more intuitive. It's more immediate. You see holes very rapidly, quickly. And so I've found uh, I've developed a rich prayer life uh, through uh, long distance running. And uh, that certainly has fed into this project uh, because I have thought deeply and looked at things in different ways that haven't quite been looked at this way. And that's what's presented in the book, yeah.
0: So then you, you take that, so maybe you're working on one of these chapters and you take that with you on the run. Like you're yes. you're working yes. through this. That's um, right.
1: I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about how he relates to people. I'm thinking about what does that say to us today. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Uh, I, I think like that's a discipline that those who are preachers who are listening to this can sympathize with. Uh, when I was preaching every week, you know, you, there's a there's a certain rhythm where it's just the topic, the text is becomes a part of your experience. Um, throughout that time, and it, it's something you are working through, and it just enters That's into you. And so, I yeah. it's you took the you had the discipline to be able to take this and take these encounters as a way to then express it to help people spiritually grow and take them on That's this right. evocative journey. Now, it's, let me just jump in with this idea with this idea that you have with the title "Jesus the Stranger." What do you have? Yeah. What do you have in mind with that? Uh,
1: Jesus is a stranger in the sense that lots of people that he encounters in the pages of the Gospels don't see Jesus for who he is. Uh, Take, for example, Herod Antipas, who is beclouded with guilt. Uh, He can't see who Jesus is because of his own guilt. Or take some of the religious leaders uh, who can't see who Jesus is because uh, of their own privilege and power. Uh, And they see him in some sense as a threat to that. So they can't accept him for who he actually is. And so they have to marginalize him and put him in a box because they see him as a threat. Um, And so there are lots of people in the pages of the Gospels uh, for whom Jesus is a stranger. Take his own disciple, Peter. Sure. I mean, here you have the confession, you know, thou art the Christ, the son of God in Matthew. Uh, but yet peter doesn't understand what what messiahship entails he has the wrong idea so much so that jesus says to him you know when he says oh i you know peter says i never want you to suffer these things etc jesus says to him get thee behind me satan right uh, and so there you have a very sharp contrast even from his own disciple someone who confessed that you are are the Christ, the Son of God, but he doesn't understand what that means. What does it mean to be the Son of God? What does it mean to be the Messiah? Because even for Peter at that point, his understanding of God and Messiah is chock full of pride. Yes. It's chock full of pride. And he can't ab- embrace and he can't accept the kind of Messiah that Jesus is and how he will reveal God. Yes, Mm. because there's a revelation
0: uh, that's taking place with Jesus. So you have 42 chapters here, and each one deals with a different encounter that somebody has in a way that Jesus is a stranger to them. Now, what's interesting then is like you have a reason for doing this. I'm guessing it has to do with the fact that maybe in our society, people— are not familiar with Jesus. (laughs) Like Jesus is a stranger to our world as well.
1: You're being a a very good interviewer. You're asking the right questions because yes, on one level, this book is about Jesus. I mean, it's reflected in the title, Jesus the Stranger. But on another level, this is speaking into what's happening in our world today. And that's why I wrote it. Uh, As I mentioned in the introduction, because... There are a lot of Christs out there wow. you know, in contemporary culture, right. some of them even in the church, right. both in and without the church. And I don't recognize this Jesus. This is not the Jesus I have come to know wow. from careful study of the Gospels. And so that's the reason I wrote the book, because Jesus is far more beautiful. Amen. Then people realize and I want to show that beauty. And I hope when people see that beauty uh, and for some, maybe for the first time, that they will be deeply moved when they see how beautiful Christ is.
0: Wow. Yeah. The, in the Salvation Army, which is my theological denominational tradition, there's a great song by uh, Albert Orsborn, who is one of our generals. It says, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. And there's something about this existence of beauty in itself, like that that we're longing to see something like this. What is it that you think that people, this the wrong picture of Jesus that's presented, like what are some of those, what do you see that, isn't as beautiful as as a God of holy love that you're what, describing.
1: What I see, I see a couple of things, and I'll speak in in general forms, and people will understand what I'm talking about. The first Jesus I see out there in our culture that doesn't correspond to what we read in Scripture is the politicized Christ. Okay. Whether from the left or the right, that's right. There is a politicized Christ. It, for some people, they politics is the highest dimension of life.. Right. They, they can't seem to, to understand that there's something that transcends politics. There's something more important than politics, and it has to do with our relation to God and with our community's relations to God. And, and that is more important. So there are a lot of strange Christs out there, and they're basically equivalent to someone's particular politics. Right. And so that's going to represent strong, you know, significant diminishment. Uh, and then there is um, a kind of therapeutic Christ that's out there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, Christ is for me. In other words, everything is centered around me. The I is left undisturbed in its own life. Christ becomes a grand valet. Fetch this, fetch that, fix this, fix that. What have you done for me lately? Wow. Yeah. And I'm picking at that, too, because... We don't begin with ourselves here. We begin with Jesus.
0: Right. And it reminds me of a, a book from our tradition of Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. His kind of, the idea is... Um, it, was, it was supposed to be, and it is like kind of the preamble to a larger work. But his book, "Let's Start with Jesus: A New Way of Doing yes. Theology,"
1: I love. The, I love the title already. <laughs> let's, start, let's start with Jesus. I see so many Christian books today, right? And basically, their titles are in the genre of the I, the Me, the Mine, the Self, and the like. Wow. That, that's basically what it is. That's a very small world. We need to go on a journey, and that
0: journey is Jesus. Amen. And how Jesus is revealed as the Son, the eternal Son of God. Like, this, this is a key piece to keep in mind is that ultimately, like, and I think what Dr. Kinlaw was doing in that book was trying to highlight that there's this relationship. That starts like how Jesus sees himself in obedience to the Father um, while being the eternal Son of God. Like, there's something about that that should mark the way that we approach how, I mean, th- this is the nature of revelation. Like, we come to the place where we understand that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. If yes. this is a God who yes. created the world out of nothing, I think it's worth seeing. I think it's worth seeing what Jesus is like. Right. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And
1: we can get at this by considering values. Okay. When we use the word God, we're right. thinking of the greatest, the most exalted, the highest, etc. Okay, so what values do we associate with God? Uh, and then what values are revealed to us in Jesus Christ? Um, let me illustrate this yeah. actually um, through Islam. Okay. Uh, Islam, as you probably realize denies that christ was crucified because in islam's understanding jesus was a great prophet uh and prophets don't end up like that Mm. Uh, do you understand absolutely yep yes but in terms of christian revelation christian understanding of revelation we believe that precisely in this very dark place that is uh, at golgotha that God is being revealed. In other words, the greatest, the highest, the most lofty is being revealed at this very low point, this mm-hmm. lowest point in this darkness, in this very dark setting, that revelation is is taking place, that uh, God's love is there in that place, precisely that place, so there is not a man nor woman whom, whom God's love cannot touch Amen. because yes. God has covered the distance. You know, is someone great? Well, Jesus Christ is the Logos made flesh. Yes. He yes. was with the Father, you know, was God, is God. Um, and then he also suffered the death of a common criminal. Uh, and he's having dialogue with, with uh, criminals and he's even making a promise to one of them wow. as he's yeah. dying. God was there. Amen. That God we can love. That God we can worship because that God loves us all. Amen. Every human being, none are excluded. Every human being, everyone created in the image and likeness of God. And so the journey takes us there and shows us the revealing of God, and it challenges our sinful, chuck full of pride ways we understand God. It challenges them and deconstructs them and shows that God is other than we might have initially imagined.
0: Mm. Yeah. So you have people, and one of the key things that comes up, even emphasizing Jesus as a stranger, is the oppositional nature that comes in Jesus' way. You know, it's helpful to keep that in mind as in this world, you will have trouble. Like we keep this reality yeah. before us as we stand up on the truths of the gospel, as we claim the reality of God's revelation and what this means uh, in our time. That Jesus was opposed. Uh, Jesus, and and this is highlighted through. I mean, most of the stories that you have. I mean, you have others too. Um, are are highlight some of this side that jesus the opposition that jesus faced what are i mean you you pretty much go through all the gospel i mean again we have 42 chapters
1: talk, yes. talk about some it, of those There, there is this conception of jesus it's you know this this sentimentalized version of jesus who's always soft-spoken who never challenges people who's kind of withdrawn maybe a bit of a, an introvert uh, I don't find that in the pages of the Gospels. I don't. I find that Jesus at times challenges people uh, uh, and, and even criticizes them because the truth of God is that important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you look at some of the interchanges with, between Jesus and the religious leaders, um, you know, the, Jesus says some very strong things to them. And Jesus Himself said, "I've come not to bring peace, but a sword." Mm. Uh, and that, and you know the rest of it, where people's relations there's going to be opposition, even within one's own household, because of Jesus Christ. The sentimentalized version of Jesus can't accept that, right? And 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 what they're also losing when they can't accept that is truth. Mm. They're losing truth, and on some level, I think they're ashamed of Jesus. They're ashamed of Jesus and his truth. So the book also has a chapter. Again, Jesus himself said these own words, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, you know, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes with his angels in glory. You know, it's in Luke. Um, So I talk about that forthrightly. Because there are people now who, there are Christians who are functioning and living in very hostile environments, whether it is a university classroom, whether it is in some other setting, and they're feeling marginalized. Some are selling out. Mm. They're selling out. They're being quiet. They're not talking about Jesus because they feel the social pressures. We look at that very carefully in this book. This age needs to look at that very carefully because the early church did, and they were willing not to miss a beat in being a faithful witness to the truth that is Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, this Our period is one where we're asked to comply on a regular basis with right. things that move against basic truth. Rod Dreher talks about this in his book, Live Not By Lies. Yes, I love that book.
1: It's a wonderful book. Isn't it?
0: I mean, this soft totalitarianism that he talks about, like um, we have to accommodate and even even in conservative communities, uh, we have to ultimately, like when we're asked to Let's just say one of the most pressing issues of our time, like uh, transgenderism, that we have to accommodate to say somebody is a male who is biologically a female or whatever that is. Like, all we want, we want to move to a place where we're not going to live by that lie. Like, we're not going to live, but that puts us in opposition to the world around us. And speaking up, even like you you highlight the role of truth i think i like to just go like all we want to get to truth and i see that coming through in these pages of what you're saying like you're trying to push us to jesus who was concerned about the same things
1: you know the new testament refers to the holy spirit as the holy spirit of truth mm. the holy spirit is the spirit of truth that's that's what the new testament says and i i tell my students when i'm in the seminary classroom that we need to ever be oriented to to, to the Holy Spirit of truth. And we need to live our lives that way uh, because the Holy Spirit will be guiding us, correcting us, and leading us into all truth. Uh, And and we need to live that way uh, and not reject that truth, even when it's unpopular, even when it's criticized, even when people call us all sorts of ugly names for loving Jesus. You know, they call us bigots, they call us this and that, but we know in whom we have believed. Amen. And he, holy love and the goodness of Christ, radiantly beautiful, Mm. transformatively beautiful, that when you get a glimpse of the goodness and beauty of Jesus Christ, I think you won't be able to hold back the tears Mm. when you see the beauty of God manifested in this person, this person who other people ignored. They said, he's a nothing. He's just, you know, some young male Jew. He's a common laborer. He's a nobody. He wasn't a part of any famous school. No, no privileged leader taught him. He was a nobody. Right. And yet, it is this man who is the light of the world because he reveals God to us in a way that is truthful. And this is, this is the important point. It's transformative. Mm. This is a kind of truth. It's not just a head game. It's not just, I know this fact. I know that fact. No, this is a truth that affects me as a person. Yes. It affects me as a person and who I know myself to be.
0: Right. I'd love to hear, like, one of the chapters that has touched you the most, particularly in evoking this view of Jesus, the beautiful, Jesus, the one of holy love, like, that you're you're hopeful, like, man, I hope when somebody gets that chapter. Like, I know, you could say all 42. But, yeah. yeah. Well, what's you, you, one that, like, uh, one of these character developments that you have? And I was I was really intrigued. I'll, I'll give you a second to think about it while I say this. Yeah, I was, yeah. as somebody, I'll say... And my bookshelf's back there. I have a John Wesley statue behind me. Uh, I, see, I see it. I see it. <laughs> I, I see a foosball table behind you. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's right. But you need to have a, a statue with Jesus higher. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. Forgive me. I just moved into this office. Uh, scripture is on the top, though. Uh, right. So then, okay. okay. H- here's what I have. Is is like, I'm a King Collins fan. Okay. If there's such a thing, that's me. Okay. I'm. I and I. I appreciate. Your writing obviously you put out a, a lot of material theologically uh, historically um, and and I've loved your works too on kind of modern evangelicalism I found them to be helpful I, but what I was intrigued as I was looking at this book was the the kind of creative side of your writing and what I realized is like you provoke emotion in me talking about Wesley it's you've made me love and appreciate Wesley more, But here, like you're, you're really trying to produce emotions in people. And that's why Uh, I'm interested in this question.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think you're asking a very important question and you are correct. You are at the heart of what I'm trying to do as a writer with this book. I know that I am addressing persons, persons, and as persons create an image and likeness of God, we are full orb. We have many dimensions to our being. Right. We have hearts and wills and minds and emotions. We're not just cogitating intellects, because if that's all I'm going to focus on in my writing, a cogitating intellect, thinking, thinking, then everything becomes an object for me, even God.
0: Wow. You understand? Absolutely. I mean, I'm scared. I mean, you're frightened by saying that, but yes.
1: Yes, because what we've done then, we've made our own selves the center, and then we think about God, and God just becomes an object to us, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do, and drawing from my creative writing background, I'm trying to look at these passages in a new way so that readers will sense the call of God upon their own lives as they're reading this material. In other words, they, their own self will be addressed. In other words, they're not the center. They're caught up in something now with, with revelation, with biblical passages in which the Holy Spirit will address them call them into account. They're not the center. That's what I'm aiming at.
0: Awesome. What, what's, I gave you a few minutes to think about it, but what's one of those chapters that you really, yeah, now, I know, here, I know choosing your favorite my, child. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Here's my concern that if I identify a favorite chapter, uh, then I'm going to reveal some of the structure of the book.
0: Okay. And I'm going to
1: take that, that fun away from the reader uh, sort of, it's like a spoiler. You would okay. get a spoiler alert. But I will say this, and let me say this, uh, uh, maybe in a kind of teasing sort of way. Yeah. I've I've been paying attention to people out there in our popular culture, especially popular religious figures. Yeah. And how they view Jesus. And my question to the potential readers here is, where is the climax of the book? where's the climax of the book what chapter for you is the climax of the book and that i think is going to be a good question for readers to have uh in terms of where do they see this narrative going Mm -hmm. what's the climax what's the high point um and how does that do how does that relate to how god has been revealed to us in jesus christ which is so very different by the way Uh, in terms of how God is revealed through other world religions. Very different. Mm -hmm, We mm -hmm. need to say that today. Very different. We need to say that. We need to speak truth to one another.
0: Right. Well, I hear you. I'm not trying to push it. I'm not trying to give away (laughs) trade secrets or that kind of thing. I think what I'm trying to get to is I I want to give people a sense of, um, because what you do in the book is you're going through very particular characters and groups and their response yeah. to jesus yeah. and i want to give people a feel for that because it's almost like you know this could just be a what we've talked about so far forgive maybe i've misunderstood but like or maybe i'm mischaracterizing let's say yeah. that yeah. It, it could almost be like well uh these are things that people don't get about jesus and this is jesus and i and i i think what people might miss from this interview alone if they don't read yeah. the book is what you're doing in some of those, even if you just list a few of the ones that you you talk about, because these aren't things that scholars would normally write about, like these sort of. Exactly.
1: Characters. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I'm aware of the scholarly position, but I don't necessarily bring that forward. Um, I can talk about this. OK, in answer to your question and be helpful without, you know, without doing spoiler alerts. <laughs> um as I said in the introduction, this book has been carefully put together. So it has structure. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. It even has an afterward.
0: Yeah, um, it's all that.
1: And there is a kind of narrative pause. There's a kind of narrative pause that takes place in chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24. What's going on there? Well, you recall disciples then and now. Disciples then and now. Uh, and I do that part one, part two, part three. Disciples then and now part one, blessed are you when people hate you. Wow, That's what Jesus said in terms of his own disciples. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Blessed are you. So, I look at that very seriously, especially in light of how Christians are suffering today, and yeah, not so. simply in North America, but around the world. Right, and, right. And some Christians are suffering greatly now in Nigeria, for yes. example, uh, and elsewhere. Okay. And then, disciples, then and now, too. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Whoever is ashamed of me uh, and my words, yes. okay. Uh, And so I deal with that. What does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus today in the various contexts in which we're operating? Can we look at that honestly? Uh, Can we look at that in a way that we will be fortified so that we can maintain a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, regardless Mm -hmm. of, of what people are calling us, regardless of how they want to exclude us and reject us? I mean, Jesus experienced all of this. Yes. This is not new. Jesus experienced all of this. And then the third one on disciples then and now is, and this, this, you may run with this one with your salvationist background, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So I looked at how do we understand these words of Jesus? How do we understand do this in memory of me? Right. Uh, you know, which seems to be a command of Jesus that yes. we do this. And how do we understand the bread and the wine? What does that relate to? How does that reveal God? Does it relate to Golgotha? Does it relate to uh, the crucifixion? You know, all those
0: issues. Right. And, and, and in my my tradition, like you said, like it is something to run with. Uh, it's one of the clearest reasons why I advocate for my tradition. And those of you who are a part of the Salvation Army don't know this about us. I'm sorry to be the, I'll give my spoiler alert, a spoiler alert. The the Salvation Army hasn't practiced the traditional Protestant sacrament since 1883, though we did for the first several years. Um, But now we, so we did for a period of our history. Unfortunately, like that was something that moved away because A variety of reasons William Booth was trying to emphasize that you know the the holy life was something that needed to be was in itself its own sacrament and he was trying to distinguish himself from the Church of England at the time. Nevertheless, it still is like the Salvation Army holds that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament were given by inspiration of God, and they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. So if that's like this tradition, like a very orthodox statement about the nature of scripture. It seems like a pretty clear instruction from the eternal son of God. Two words. Yeah. Do this.
1: Now, yeah, let me let me carefully <laughs> uh, uh, enter into this context. Um, uh and for, let me first of all start out by saying uh, that I appreciate salvationist yeah. and salvationist theology. I was at the headquarters in upstate New York, and I taught theology of John Wesley up there, had a, a wonderful time, you yeah. know, in, in engaging and dialoguing with salvationists. So I'm very appreciative uh, of of any theology that's going to put a premium on holiness the way the salvationists do. I Amen. mean... I, I we, we are brothers. We are brothers and sisters you know, around the world. Uh, I, I affirm that. But here's something I think salvationists should think about. Yeah. It, 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 in light of your own history and the kind of voice you're representing, Andy, yeah. and then what's happening in this book, uh, Jesus okay. the Stranger, and, and what it's suggesting. And here's what I'm driving at. People are going to see that through this narrative journey, that God is revealed in the least likely of places, Hmm. that he is revealed in a scene of darkness uh, uh, where his disciples have abandoned him, where Jesus is crucified. Um, It's precisely at this place Uh, of the crucifixion the suffering death of Jesus Christ His bleeding on the cross now some understand the Lord's Supper you know the bread and the wine as bespeaking of the person and the event of crucifixion Uh, you know that's what the wine the blood the spilled blood and if the cross if calvary if golgotha is the place of the preeminent manifestation of who god is such that you know it's the meek not the proud that will inherit the earth that the last shall be first the first shall be last everything has been turned upside down our our pride filled conceptions of god don't work anymore in the face of a holy love manifested our golgotha where nails cannot destroy it taunting cannot weaken it and amen. hatred cannot overcome it amen and so if the lord's supper is related to that revelation then that means the lord's supper is
0: pretty important amen <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean, it, it's a it's a What's happened, unfortunately, and this happens in other traditions and other ways, is that you develop a theology uh, around uh, a historic move. And so now we're 130 plus years removed, and we're still kind of dealing with the fact that we're making this historic point, critiquing maybe the church at a certain time. Instead, like one of the things I try to say, like not only does Jesus say, just do this, but right. all that you just unraveled, that, that beautiful scenery of what happens on the cross and what this reveals about God. The the good thing that comes from taking the elements is missed in like salvationist worship. And I think that's a tragedy. Like it's it's unfortunate that we certainly we can call people to that good news as you just laid it out, like at our altar. But there's something about the connection to Jesus' command to the church's obedience to follow that command. Um, I'm not questioning like my own salvation or others, uh, the Salvation Army is being right or wrong, but this is, I I call it the good thing argument. Like this is, why would we not want to participate?
1: Why would we not want to participate? And I think we also have to remember that we are not disembodied spirits, that we are bodies, souls, and spirits and so we have a physical dimension to us, and I think it's beautiful when we take the bread right, and all that the bread represents and, and what it points to. And we take the wine and we consume it. It becomes a part of us. We consume it. We bring it into us. It's interlaced in our very being. It becomes who we are. That's an emblem of discipleship that we in Christ and Christ in us, the interpenetration, the eating, the becoming a part of that kind of rich intimacy. This is not some uh, secondary relationship. This is an intimacy whereby we consume, we take into ourselves the very person uh an
0: event of the crucifixion and it's this type of perspective that and this is where i love to just get your opinion i'm sorry for the excursus here on sacraments but that my listeners are familiar that I, I go here a lot but uh you john wesley would call it a converting grace this bringing in and correct me if i'm wrong i love to hear from you but but bringing into your very being like what happens in that event is something that can lead somebody to christ
1: Yes, Wesley did refer to the Lord's Supper as a converting ordinance, uh, which which for him meant that all that was required to receive communion was not a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That wasn't necessary. But then on the other hand, and this would be another misunderstanding, not just anyone is welcome to the table. Who, the ones who are welcome to the table are, as the Anglican material states, all those who are heartily sorry and do earnestly repent of their sins may come forward. So if one is in a spirit of repentance, the reception of the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine, may become the occasion uh, in mm. which Christ now reigns in the soul uh, that... Christ is in the, soul. we are in Christ and Christ is in us and yeah. we have become holy. We have become holy, which is a, a wonderful, a very beautiful thing.
0: Yes. Well, thanks for going down that road with me uh, on okay. the sacraments. I, right. I, you don't know, but you're adding another, uh, another, log to the fire that I, I, I'm i I'm trying to be a part of it. And of course, there's other people who are doing that too. But that's an emphasis that I have. Like uh, one thing, like my podcast in general, like what we're trying to do with the content we produce is that we're We're describing truth from an evangelical Wesleyan worldview. And so I'm not even saying salvation. It's like I'm saying evangelical Wesleyan. And part of the thing that I have is is a high view of scripture and the high view of the human body and human sexuality uh, and how God's revealed himself through creation. And then also um, I've said at the outset, like advocating for sacramental renewal in the Salvation Army. So thank you for going down that road with us. Now I want to go back to something you said in the, um, in the introduction, you talk yes. about uh, Niebuhr and, and the way right. that Reinhold Niebuhr addresses sin. And I'd love to get, and that, that's a part of your goal too. We've hit on it a little bit, but I wanna give us a little more time with that.
1: Yeah, uh, Niebuhr wrote a very important book, Moral Man, Immoral Society. Okay. And so there is a, a basic difference between evil on a personal level, and we all are familiar with that, But then it seems to get compounded geometrically when we get to the group level, the social level, uh, and it's really geometrically increased. And Niebuhr had a rich understanding of that, how if individuals can be selfish, and they can, groups can be inordinately selfish, Mm -hmm. you know, always pursuing uh, what is the advantage of the group, even at the expense of other groups, okay? Mm-hmm. And so we, we use a word, we use a sociological word to talk about that, ethnocentricity, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, groups are ethnocentric, they're self-curved, they're self-curved. They see their own lives as the highest entity of all, even greater than God. And so one of the threads that I talk about in the book, it's weaved throughout, and this is a challenge for the Christian faith as well, the danger of tribalism. Right. The danger of becoming simply a Christian tribe. Right. In, in other words, we're somehow or other backing away from the universal love of God, where Jesus, our Master, taught us to pray for our enemies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know we somehow back away from that, and we want to wrap our religious meetings in in class, uh, some wrap it in race, which is crazy, Uh, ethnicity, economic status. We want all of these little lesser idols, and we want to wrap the Christian faith, mix it up with it. Um, So it's very hard to be a monotheist, because a monotheist is one who is going to love God, the one God who is above all and therefore we're all brothers and sisters, and we have the obligation to love our neighbor as ourselves. We do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Christian faith goes wrong, and you even see this among denominational fights. A party spirit can emerge between denominations, which is regrettable. It's a backing away from the gospel, which is the universal love of God manifested in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, it's present there at golgotha it's you know god the father's gift to us in the son um and so i do talk about group dynamics the sin of group dynamics uh, the self-curvature in a very realistic way because people today are suffering as a consequence of that and they're struggling because of these social pressures
0: so when when we have there's this like distinction from the individual to the group and that's That in itself can be a problem in our time. Like we, uh, if we identify with the group more than we do, like there's a balance between these two things. I see where you're going with like wanting to make sure that like we don't overemphasize the tribal group dynamics and then like embrace the negative aspects that come from that. But you want to talk about that just briefly, like the difference. Yeah,
1: I'm going to jump in real quick because although such things as family are important and husbands and wives and family are all important. Watch what
0: Jesus said. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. He
1: who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So Jesus looks at these very good things and we're not denying that, that they're good. We know they're good, but Jesus is saying they're not the greatest good. Mm. They're not the most important of all. There's something higher okay and that is and what the, and that is god
0: amen
1: <laughs> that that is god that is to know to know love and enjoy enjoy really enjoy god where, where are people talking about enjoying god i lived there mm. i lived there and, and and this has this book has been such a blessing to me it has just taken me to a new place i love god more today than I ever have I have more joy today than I ever had because I know who God is amen. and God is beautiful radiantly beautiful amen I have read my own book and started crying have you great yes but I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to not where chapters.
0: yeah that's right probably...
1: no, no spoilers oh man you. I, I... But I have gone back and read my own chapters and I couldn't get through it without tears
0: wow well, cool. I mean, that's, I, I, I'm a little surprised by that, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful you're willing to share that um, because, like, you, you know, in your scholarly work, you will hammer your points hard. Like, and I love it. Okay. That's part of why I like you. Like, <laughs> and, uh, but, but at the same point, like, you don't think of uh, the crying, emotional Ken Collins, I'll say. But those of us who've, who've listened to you and know, like, that it's even your work on Wesley comes because of your love for the heart of what's at at this center of it. Even it, last time I had you on the podcast, you talked about your own conversion experience right. and that's, that's what drives you to, to Wesley. And ultimately like Wesley's driving you to Jesus. So thank you for sh- sharing that with us here. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else uh, you'd like to add about your book before uh, in case I didn't give you a chance to say everything?
1: Um, you to say? Yeah. I want to say one last thing. Uh, that at the end of the book, once again, we're speaking about structure, the big picture here, at the end of the book, for those who are so, if they have been moved by reading these accounts, I wanna offer the opportunity to express that. And so at the end of the book is a litany of confession, repentance, and renewal. Okay. Uh, And so there is a litany and and, uh, the litany you know, usually with the litany, you'll have it in terms of three. You know, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, sometimes in terms of two, but sometimes in terms of three. But I work with four. And okay. readers can think about that. But there's a litany at the end for those. See, I have a sense that there are Christians out there who want to love God unabashedly. And and they're not ashamed of loving God, and they want to do so publicly, unabashedly, and they don't care who knows. Mm -hmm. And they want to celebrate Jesus Christ. They want to glorify Jesus Christ, uh, both in the church, in their own lives, and in broader society. And so this is a vehicle at the end, uh, a litany of confession, repentance, and renewal, because that's the way forward. The way forward is
0: repentance yes yeah yeah it it is not a popular not a popular thing to talk about
1: but it is the way forward you know when they talk about the great asbury revival that, that placed back there in 1970 you know people think revival oh somebody got up and talked about how great their lives were and you know all of this that's not how that revival began that revival began when students confessed their sins when they repented and then they were open to receiving that gentle, humble, Holy Spirit in their
0: hearts right. and were washed clean. Uh, yeah. The fruit of repentance. It's a beautiful That's thing. Right. Um, yeah. But the podcast that I have is, is titled More to the Story. And I think of that as in a kind with a theological vision as well, that there's more than just being forgiven, that there's the holy love of God that we get to experience. So there's, I have that side of it. But also, I'd That's like right. to get a little deeper with, with people as well. And then, kind of like on a more personal uh, level, I like to say, Ask this question. Is there more to the story of Ken Collins than usually told? What I mean, we talked about your love for Jesus running here, but maybe yeah. it's like uh you like to play yeah. foosball or something. I don't know. It
1: actually it actually emerged in our conversation. And and Jason Bickers, Dr. Jason Bickers, yeah. he can speak to this as well because I have a, a sort of public reputation out there as a hard-nosed critical thinker, which on one level I am, but he's come and the p and my friends who know me personally know that i'm a very warm and engaging person
0: right uh
1: and so when when dr vickers came here uh he was surprised because he saw the you know ken collins in person beyond the you know public reputation as a, as a hard-nosed thinker um so and he was he he even remarked
0: a couple of times, actually, about it. So Okay, so, so you're warmer, warmer than people might think, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. That's great. Well, we, I appreciate you taking time to tell us about this new book. When it Now, you said the Amazon version's out. When does it come out?
1: It, it's already out. It's up on Amazon now, okay. uh, both paperback and Kindle.
0: Okay. And great. it's
1: on seedbed.com as well. Gotcha. Yeah, so, it's in all those venues, yeah.
0: Great. Well, I appreciate you taking on, like, I, I we've, we've hit, hit on this before in the podcast. Like, we don't study Wesley for Wesley. We study Wesley because he helps us understand how God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And That's the,
1: beautiful. I love that. That's, that's great.
0: So, uh, and, and you're doing that for us here through this book. So, thank you for taking time to use different uh, riding muscles that you possess to help yeah, us and, get a, a more and, picture of, of Jesus, the beautiful. And,
1: and all my work about John Wesley has always been about Jesus. Amen.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for com- coming to more to this story. God bless you, Dr. Collins.
1: All right. God bless you, too. Take care.